Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 we're back, we're brown, we're black. See, I switched the order up a little bit. I'm Tiffany. <laughs> What's up, y'all? It's Mandy. <laughs> and this is Brown Ambition. Brown Ambition. Yes. Yo, honestly, the people love us, Mandy. Do you realize that? Uh, No, but tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I spoke at uh two places uh, um, this past weekend. I spoke at um, Black Women Talk Tech, which was you really dope. on fire. With the Honestly, speaking engagements. I don't know what's happening. It's like my name is on a list somewhere. And they're like, go get her. And I'm like, what? Really? Me? List of the but, best. Um, so, so I spoke there. And then I also spoke at, um, I, I flew to Vegas for a day to speak at a Black Enterprise has this annual conference that's really dope called Women of Power. And it's so amazing. But when I tell you, the people are like, oh, my God. I love your podcast. I love your podcast. Oh, my God. Tell Mandy I said hi. Oh, my God. And I'm <laughs> like, wow. Before it used to be like, you know, like, um, you know, one in one in four and then one in two. Now everybody will run down. They're like, oh, my God, I love the Bajanista. Oh, my God, I love Brown Ambition and I'm a dream catcher. It's like they have to check off the list. But Brown Ambition is always on the list now. I love that. You know what I love? Um, and this is one, you know, like when you're, you know, my little brother is like so cool, like so cool. <laughs> he is five years younger than me and just cooler than me in every single way. But his friends, when they like he he just started a book club because he's trying to, you know, stay woke with it. And he, he had his first book club meeting and he was like one person found out that you're my sister. And then we just talked about that the whole time. I love it. Yeah. You famous. Yeah. I was like, ooh, and when, when my friend when his friends know me, then he's that's when he pays attention. Then he's like, Oh, about that podcast that you're doing. Yeah. We, <laughs> we're legit. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's so great, though. Yeah, the love is the love is mutual, you guys. I still can't believe we've been at this for nearly four years. I know it's it's like a it's a it's past toddler stage. We are officially in preschool, and the people still love it. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. All the traveling. I'm tr- I'm trying yeah. to plan a little spring, little spring break kind of vacation for myself. I need. A, I realize I don't think I've taken a proper vacation in a while. So it is high time. Were you thinking about going? I was looking at Charleston because, you know, I have a soft spot, a soft spot for Savannah, Georgia. I got married there. I'm from Georgia. I love Savannah. But people are always throwing shade and saying that Charleston is better than Savannah. And I just feel like I need to figure it out. I need to find out for real. So oh my God. I well, first of all, you already know I love Savannah. I was so happy when you got married there. I was like, yes, twofer. <laughs> like it's one of my, my favorite American cities. And honestly, I'm going to Charleston this weekend. No way. Aww. Yeah, well, because I so I'm speaking at South by Southwest and uh, I leave tomorrow in Austin, and then I'm speaking at this 
Black Expo, Black and Financial Empowerment Expo, and it's in Charleston. And I didn't even realize because sometimes I won't look at my schedule till a couple of days before. And I've always wanted to go to Charleston because, like you, I freaking love Savannah. So now I'm excited. I'm like, yes, I love old houses. Um, I cannot wait to see Charleston. Oh, uh, okay. Well, you find out where all the good food spots are, and then let me know because that's half. Once once I'm planning a vacation, now I'm just getting so I'm just get tired just like sitting down to plan it, like. Where are we going to stay? What are we going to eat? I just wish someone would do it for me. So you do the research and then let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly, and I'm like a very touristy tourist. You know, the first time I go someplace, like I'm the type of like, I know I want to know the touristy places. I yeah. want to take a picture next to the big fork <laughs> and I want to, you know, like I want to do all of those things. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely will. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I'll whip the selfie stick out. But. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. That's like, that's the one silver lining of the house spending is that we've built up enough points that we don't have to pay for airfare. And I love the, like the East coast cities. It's just, you know, since we're in New York, um, it's, it's really cheap to fly to some of these towns on the East coast. So that's why we tend to stick closer to home, but looking forward to it. Got to figure out what we're going to do with Molly. I know. Oh, dog right. walker. oh, and right. shout out to the listener who sent me a, a sweet. She called me Molly. She's like, I have a message for Molly's mom. Oh, <laughs> Which, I love it. <laughs> real talk, I am walking around this house saying things that I'm like, I am turning into my mother. Or not my mother, but like a like a stern pre-K teacher is how I sound. I am just <laughs> like, no ma'am, no ma'am. We do not bark, ma'am. <laughs> just like <laughs> we don't we don't ask for food like that, Miss Ma'am. <laughs> that is like, who am I? Mean, I? The preschool teacher in me is like, very well done. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, you're like, you don't want to use a harsh voice, but you want to be firm. No, ma'am, we do not, not bark like that. <laughs> Mom's God. like, oh, bye. Give me my food. Well, <laughs> one of our listeners shouted out because I was, I was whining about how expensive, like, Petco was um, for all of Molly's toys and everything. And she mentioned Chewy.com, like, chew, mm-hmm. like a toy. And I'm obsessed. My mom and my sister both have dogs and they were like, what? You don't know about Chewy? So Chewy has affordable food and they do delivery and stuff. So I'm gonna check them out. I don't know. Maybe one day, one day I could see myself one day with a dog. Maybe. As a person who has anxiety, it is, she's been so helpful for me to just like calm down, just calm down and pet the dog. Yeah. Oh, I know. They just seem so lovable, but they also seem like so much work. You have to get a good one. I mean, we got really lucky with Molly, um, you know, behavioral wise. She doesn't have any issues. She's not snapping at us. She's not peeing all over the floor. She's not a puppy. I made a point to get a dog that was house trained. Um, that was a big thing for me. She's not unsafe for people to be around. So I don't feel like I have to change my lifestyle. Like we had all kinds of babies and people over last weekend and Molly was great. So you just, mm-hmm. you have to find the right fit for you. And it is a lot of work. Um, it can be, and I'm not saying that dogs who have those issues aren't worthy of adoption, but for our lifestyle, Molly, she was, and it was the right time too, right time. Mm. And uh, like lately I've been seeing like um, a friend of mine, she's like meeting like her, her Beyonce of her industry. I think this woman, like, she's like, uh, like high finance. So like, she like has like $3 trillion under asset. I forget what company she works for. So my friend used to work for Goldman Sachs and she, um, someone heard her gushing over. I wish I knew the name of this woman. So I heard her gushing over, uh, this woman. So she's actually having a, um, uh, like a, a, a lunch with her. And she was like, she posted on IG and was like, you know, what, if any questions do you have for, let me see if I can find her name because I could, she was just like gushing like this woman is everything. And I was like trillion. 
under assets. One of the things I know she said that she wanted to um, um, ask her is, um, you know, do people still question you despite you being so, okay, I found her name. Her name is Susan Shank. And she wrote, she's the Beyonce of finance. And that's what I call her. Nothing but respect. She's managed $2 trillion of of transactions. She's also the first black woman to head a publicly traded financial institution. Um, And so she's always wanted to be like her. Um, She's an engineer, an MBA grad turned financier. um, And she is loved by her city of Detroit. So, um, so my friend is super brilliant. She's managed nearly $8 billion under assets. She's worked for Goldman Sachs, my friend, Natasha. And I just thought to myself, and this woman is married. I don't know if she has um, children, but I remember just thinking to myself, like, cause the question I wanted to ask is like, what did she have to say no to in order to say yes to family? You know, hmm. that's a good question. Because, you know, as we get like a little bit older, you know, before I'm like, I don't say no to any, like, I'm going to say yes to everything. And to your point, I've been doing a lot of like travel and speaking and this and that. But like for the first time, there is more requests than I have than I have space for. So usually I don't I only say no. I only had to say no to a request because it wasn't a fit. I'm like, no, nah, it's not a fit or no, I don't believe in that mission or no, you know, whatever reason. But it was never because like, okay, I honestly, I don't have the capacity, even though it's something I'd like to do. This is the first time ever that there are things coming in that I'm like, oh my God, I want to do it. Oh my gosh. I, I don't have the capacity. So it's just, and it is mostly because of family planning, you know, not necessarily because I don't have any time. Um, and so it's like, ah, so there's these, this weird pull where I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to go for it. But I'm I like, think Girl. it's time for us to have Farnoosh on the show. Yes, oh, I do. And who I love better Farnoosh. to talk about balancing work with family and having a career similar to what you do. We need to have Noosh on. It's high time. Yes, because it's, I, you know, it's, it's definitely a struggle, you know? And so I'm just like, okay, what, how, you know, cause there's definitely this fear that like, okay, so if I get pregnant, then, um, you know, then I, you know, I, like I'm going to have to stop traveling at, at some point. Um, then the baby's going to be here. So I'm not going to really want to um, travel for a while. What if that's a whole year, you know, like, it, you know, it, can you take a year off and be like Beyonce be back? Or would you take a year off and come back like voice to men? Like the, the, the genre <laughs> has moved on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, I'm Bruno like, Mars oh. brought it back a little bit. <laughs> But I'm just exactly, but you know, they moved on from voice to men. Voice to men was the biggest thing out, Mandy. I don't want to be voice to men. Um, I, I have a feeling, I mean, I don't have all the answers. I have no children, nor do I have a speaking career in you know, the same way you do. But let me offer my free advice. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like you're not going to be able to be out of the picture for a year. I think that I, I, I just, I don't think that you'll be able to do it. It's just, not that, not that I'm saying you would like sacrifice what's good for your family to do it, but I think you're going to find a way to make both happen. Okay. And like, I've seen people like Farnoosh do it and I feel like it's really possible. And like what she says about, and what she has said before when I've heard her talk about it is like when becoming a mother made her more successful, made her even hey. attra- attract more wealth because she became more particular about what she said yes to. And she asked for more because she needed to ask for more from the, the specific okay. opportunities so that she could do less of them, you know? Okay. okay. And I mean, I'm just making up things. I'm not making up, but putting I'm putting words in her mouth a little bit. And then she actually wrote an, an, a column that I just read. I think it was for Refinery29, like about some of the myths or not some of the myths, but some of the advice she has for working moms. And one of them that I was like doing snaps on the train to was, 
how she says when women have children, you have to go back to work. Like you have to, okay. because okay. the the world the wealth that you're missing out on uh, accumulating, um, you know, over the years can really hurt you and hinder you. Um, and especially if you're well, it's obviously single mothers don't have a choice. You have to work for your child. But if you're in a dual income household, it's still important for the mother to to get back out there and to not be out of the workforce for too long. So, you know, Noosh, okay. Noosh, Noosh needs to come on. Noosh knows. I'm like, no, honestly, Noosh I would knows. really love to have her on just because it's like a like before it was like, oh, I could totally see, you know, but now I'm like, oh, my gosh, because there's even things now where I'm like, uh. Well, I don't know. That's like, you know, eight months from now. So I'm like, oh, yes, I would love to do that thing. But wait, but wait, what if I can't? And so there's all of these like clauses now that I have to like keep in mind. And so, yeah, it's just I mean, I know I remember um, um, Patrice uh, of Washington, one of our faves. Um, she said something to the fact that she she had just taken time off to take time off. And she was like, you know, and, and I don't know that it was a whole year, but she took time off and she was like, girl, you know, if you built up enough of a, of a business where of like, you know, just like a good solid business that she was like, it didn't, it didn't hurt her business because it just made her more um, conscious about choosing just the right thing. Um, actually was going to reach out to my friend Lovey because I, she has a podcast called um, Jesus and Jalof with, um, with my other girl, um, Yvonne Oji. Um, and she, she actually, I, she has a checklist. She said that she has, and actually I was going to, I was going to hit Lovey up. Lovey, if you listen, Hey girl, um, because I love you. has been a guest on our show because there's a checklist that she's created because Lovey speaks like for a living. I mean, she, she's got a New York Times bestseller and other things, but I would say the core of most of her income, as far as I can see from the outside anyway, is speaking and Lovey speaks like like, you know, a hundred to 200 days out of the year. So like significant amount of days. Um, and so she said, because she gets so many, um, amazing opportunities and she can't say yes to them all because some of them land on the same day that she created a checklist to say, okay, it's got to do at least six out of the 10. So that was something I told myself like, mm, you know what, you know, I, I can't remember what was on her checklist. So I was going to reach out just to ask and then like, you know, look at it and then add it to my own. So it can help me to, to make you know better decisions, like just today, I just got so many offers today, and I was just like, oh, I would love to say. I mean, 2010 Tiffany is like, oh my god, whose life is this? You all, <laughs> 2019 Tiffany is like, oh, I need to take a nap. <laughs> um, hey. one thing I'm trying to figure out is tax season. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Still haven't, Paul. Where are you at, man? Where are my taxes? He's still he's had them for th- like, what's the good turnaround? He's had them for two weeks, and I'm just like, can I follow up now? Like, no. I want to know my fate. Um, our listeners, though, as promised, we are finally yeah. getting around to our tax show today, Tax Tuesday. Yes, and we've got a special guest who I'm super excited about. Um, so let me introduce you to Terry Chantel. So I met Terry because, um, like, maybe, I want to say maybe a year ago or maybe a year before that, I was getting so you guys know I have a Facebook group called Dreamcatchers. It's like a few hundred thousand women. And this woman's video kept getting posted over and over and over. And she had a couple of videos go viral. Um and um I think she reached out to me or maybe I reached out to her and she was like, Yikes, I'm sorry because we have kind of like a rule about like videos in the group. Because most of the videos in the group, you know, they're like meme meme esque videos. So we have a rule like you can't post videos. Um in the group, but I, you know, I, I let hers rock because they weren't like, you know, these weren't like videos of like, you know, I don't know, kids getting cheese thrown in their face. You know, that's a real challenge right now. Kids getting cheese thrown in their face. 
anyway. have so little faith in humanity <laughs> right now. <laughs> I know. And so like, and so I reached out to her and I was like, wow, you're so amazing. And so, uh, Terry is a financial educator. She is a tax educator, um, especially to entrepreneurs. Um, she's a credit educator. She's just really bright and brilliant. And so after watching her videos, I shared them with my accountant, Carlos. He was like, wow, she's really on point. Then I invited her to teach inside the academy and she's taught a number of classes um, and, and actually wrote one of our intensives, which is like a three week long course inside the academy, which everyone is like, it's amazing. Terry is just dynamic. She's smart. She's sharp. And so when we were going to have our tax episode, I was like, ooh, ooh, let's invite Terry. And Mandy said, okay. Good good recap. Good recap. Yeah, I'm super excited to have her on. We have I've shaken out the reader mailbag. And if you if you sent in a tax question, thank you so very much for your questions. I've got a handful that we will cover with Terry on today's show. And then as always, if you know, new questions pop up for you, feel free to send us an email at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up at brownambitionpodcast.com and click ask us anything to shoot us your message. So we'll take a little short break and we'll come back with Terry Chantel. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We are back from our break, and I'm super excited because Terry is here. <sighs> the crowd goes wild. wild. We've got, got some amazing, amazing questions, questions that you guys, you guys sent, sent over, over, so we're going to jump, jump right, right in. in. You ready, ready Terry? Terry? I am, I am ready. ready. Glad, Glad to, be to be here. Awesome. So let's kick off things with a question from an anonymous listener. This is someone who is working in the gig economy, so they're a freelancer and wanting to have some tax advice. So Terry, here's a question from our anonymous listener. I'm trying to get out of debt, and I decided to pick up some side hustles through the gig economy. I have looked into some of these websites like TaskRabbit, Upwork, and Flex, and realized that I'd be considered a quote-unquote contractor, and I should expect to receive a 1099 tax form from them. Can you go through the pros and cons of pursuing this type of side hustle? Is it really worth it, or will I regret it later when tax season comes around? Your thoughts and advice are greatly appreciated. Good questions. There's so many people, you know, I just walked, I had my dog walk today by like the Uber of dog walking and the guy was like, I just wanted to make some extra money. So there's so many folks out there who are like Ubering and task rabbiting to make extra cash. So what should they consider before they start making that extra money, Terry? Well, well, first thing is we are in a pay as you go system. So whether you're making money with a job 
or as a side hustle, you're required to pay taxes. And so what a 1099 does is require you to report that income to the IRS. So mindset shift number one, I have to pay taxes. The goal is to pay the least amount of taxes. So the great thing about having a side hustle that's a gig, the major con is that although you're making money, you get to write off business expenses. So it's actually a great thing to be considered a contractor in many situations versus as employee as an employee. For example, Mandy, let's say that dog walker. If he worked for Dog Walkers of America, he would get paid, I don't know, you know, $200 a week and they would automatically take those taxes out of and he would have no choice as to the amount of taxes that would be taken out. But let's say it's Brad's dog walking business and it's his side hustle. Well, he made $200, but he gets to write off any expense that went into that business. So the flyers that he put out, the website that he built, the leashes that he bought. So he made $200, but he could probably write off half of that and not pay taxes on half of the money that he made. So really in many situations when it comes to a side hustle, the pro is that it's a business expense. So go ahead and let them give you that 1099 because you're going to give the IRS those business expenses and you're good to go. Oh yeah, quick question. So with tax reform, I know that some things change for, yeah, great minds think alike. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Some things have changed for people who are considered like sole proprietors or people People who are basically a business of one. Has has any of that changed the advice around people in the gig economy? No. no most, most of the, of the changes change- in terms of eliminations and things that aren't so, you know, they, they are the negative changes happened on the personal side. Actually, some um, improvements have happened on the business side with the incorporation of some um, credits for higher earners on the self-employment side. But really, that side hasn't changed as much. And those bigger changes are more, they, they are on the side of corporations and C-Corps, those big headliners that you see. But for what we're talking about, self-employed, solopreneurs, high, side hustlers, you don't see a big change. Mm, good to know. Yes. Okay. Well, we have a, another question coming in from New York. Um, this is from Chris. I don't see you say I can't use your name. Um, Chris telling us how much she loves the show. And then she says, I am a notary signing agent. I contract with banks and different companies to meet with clients to notarize mortgage documents, refinance documents, et cetera. Lately, I've been getting more assignments than I did in my first year and would like to know when it's best to create a business to continue this work. Is there a cap on how much a person can make as a contractor before they will have to pay back taxes to state and federal? For example, I'm already over $600 in earnings for 2019 versus 2018. I only made $800 for the total year. Um, If there's no cap, is it safe to continue this work as a contractor? Also, to date, I have not received any tax documents for 2018 from the companies I've contracted uh, work for, but I I do keep track. So um, I get this question a lot working with newer business owners. The biggest myth is that you have to do something special to become a business. But according to the IRS, the moment you engage in an activity where the intent is to profit, you are a business, you are a sole proprietor, and by law, you should report that income. That's it. You don't have to be an LLC. You don't have to go downtown to get a DBA. You don't need a website. If you said, I'm opening up shop and it's for profit, 
than you are a business. So as you are running and growing that business, becoming an LLC doesn't have as much to do with income as it has to do with protection from liability of running that business. An LLC is a formal business entity that gives you limited liability protection. Basically, in layman's term, that means that you and your business are separate entities. So if you are a sole proprietor, you're just out there doing your thing, then if someone wanted to sue you, let's say you're that dog walker and that dog got hurt, well, they would sue you and you as a person. So your personal assets, anything that you have up for grabs that they can use, they they can go after it legally. But if that dog walker was an LLC, then only the assets that that separate entity that that business owns can be up for grabs in the lawsuit. So the question really is, is what is the risk that I'm taking out here operating not as an LLC? Whether you're making $1 or $10,000, it's about the risk. And that's something that you should seek a professional if you want to form and kind of form that entity and kind of do some deeper research. But I wouldn't attach that decision to money as much as I would attach it to the risk in that type of business that you're running. running. What about, what about Chris's or not Chris? Yes, Chris. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> what about Chris's second question, which is, you know, for example, I, I, I see this question a lot because in, in my, in my day job, we work with a lot of freelance writers and a couple of them have come up this year already and saying, Hey, I haven't gotten my 1099 tax form from you guys for 2018. Where are it at though? So Chris, <laughs> Chris wants to know, because what did she say? She made $800 last year. She hasn't gotten any tax forms from those companies. Um, what should she do? You still, you still report the income. So I'll give a little behind the scenes quick kind of peek. When you're a tax preparer, and let's say if you gave me 15 1099s from all of the websites that you wrote an article for, really what happens in the tax software is we just add them all up. It's really just a 1099 is proof that the company you worked for actually reported that income to the IRS. Because as a, as a company, as a business owner, I am required to report the money that I pay to independent contractors because the IRS wants to know every dollar that everybody makes. And it's their way of having a, 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 a documentation of that. So if Mandy, you wrote an article for me and I paid you $600, I'm going to create a 1099. I'm going to send one to the IRS and say, hey, IRS, I paid Mandy $600 and then I'm going to give you one. So the IRS knows about this money. So you can't ignore that 1099 because they already know you made it. They're going to come looking for you and say, hey, we know you made some money, but you didn't put it on your tax return. But the other half of that question is whether I give you a 1099 or not, legally, you still are supposed to report that money. Remember what I said earlier is that the IRS says if you are um, operating in any activity for a profit, then you're supposed to report that money. And a lot, and you may fly below the radar if it's, you know, $100 here, $200 there. But when it becomes big money, that's when you see those big tax evasion stories that you see celebrities, you know, are getting into big trouble because they didn't get a 1099 for all that money they made, but they should have reported it some kind of way the IRS got wind of it. So some companies like Uber, for example, I have clients that drive for Uber. They will not send their drivers 1099s if they made less than $10,000 because it's a cost to them. So what they'll do, they'll just kind of give you like, you know how much you made, just go report it. <laughs> 
No, that's great to know. I can just tell these people, why are you hounding me? Like, I, I could send an email to accounts payable and give and it'll take three weeks to get back to you. Or you could just, you know, I can tell you how much you spent how much we paid you last year, and you can just go file. Yeah, yeah. they, they just, just want, want to, to be, be sure, sure, because it's a really bad thing if they under report, they just the, the biggest thing is we need to both tell the IRS the same number. Because, because if they, if they say, say 1000 and, and you said 1200 come July 1st, <laughs> they will send a letter. Um, You didn't pay us. You know, you, you said you only made a thousand, but Mandy said you made 1200. So it's important that the numbers match. But the actual 1099, the actual paper is not as important. Excellent. All right, let's move on to our next question. Have I lost my place? Here we go. This question comes from listener Shar. Uh, Shar says, I, I just love you guys. And I legit think I know y'all in real life. Oh, thanks, Shar. So here's her tax question. She also knows that I like to get straight to the point with my questions. Thank you, Shar. I love it. <laughs> I love a listener who's like, please spare me the five paragraphs about, you know, your life story. No, I love you guys. But thank you for getting to the point. All right, Shar says, I withdrew, this is a great question, I withdrew $10,000 from my traditional IRA back in March of 2018 because I was unemployed. My intention was to pay it back when I started to work, but I was on this aggressive pay off my debt plan and it slipped my mind. So now I owe the IRS like $5,000. Oh, Shar. My question is, can I pay the $5,500 of the $10,000 back before April 15th? And it offset the withdrawal, and I only have to pay taxes on the remaining 4500 that I owe. Oh, and I forgot to mention that I also went tax-exempt for four months. I only paid about $6,000 in federal taxes of the $70,000 I earned from April to December. How can I decrease the money that I owe? That was a complex question, so let me know if you want me to back up and read anything. There are pretty much no exceptions to that penalty. Once you withdraw that money, you have to pay the penalty because you have to remember the whole point of a traditional IRA is to save for retirement and to get you know a, ta a tax deduction. So there's really nothing you can do. Typically, Typically some, some plans, plans will, will, you may find a, an IRA plan that says if you pay it back within 60 days or something like that, but Trying to pay it back a year and a half later won't work. What if she'd planned ahead? What could she have done? Maybe rolled it over to another plan that had a little bit more flexibility, like rolling that over to a Roth IRA. But even that has certain rules like, okay, you can withdraw it, but for certain reasons, you can withdraw the contributions or you could tax free or you could withdraw it if you're buying it for a house down payment. So she could have had some options depending on what she needed that money for, maybe for medical expenses. But if you want to get money out of your traditional IRA, if you're not even sure, like, what's the rules for the traditional or the Roth IRA, call your plan provider. Maybe they can help you out. You probably can first roll it over to a plan that will accommodate the reason that you're trying to withdraw the money. Yeah. And withdrawing funds, withdrawing funds early from your retirement plan is almost always going to end up with that tax penalty because they're going to look at it because it, as they should, you know, if you're putting in money pre-tax that you haven't yeah. paid taxes on it yet. And so they're going to come for it then. Um, and I, and 401k, not 401k loans, like a, with 401k retirement plan through your employer 
and correct me if I'm wrong, Terry, but some of them do offer a 401k loan Mm -hmm. where you do take out money and then you pay it off. I've done this before and you pay it off, you know, every pay period until it's paid back. But a loan is totally different than a withdrawal. It's almost like a personal loan where they tell you, okay, you're going to have this much of a monthly payment and you'll pay it back at this point. And then it's automatically, it was automatically just taken out of my paycheck. I didn't have to do anything. And And that way I didn't slip my mind. You know, I was always paying it back. The risk, of course, with a 401k loan is like, if I were to lose my job at the time, um, that loan would have become due, it could have been, uh, it could have been due immediately, or within 30 to 60 days, and mm. some people may not be prepared to, to pay it back. And if you can't pay it back, well, then it becomes a distribution, and then you have to yeah. pay taxes on it. So there's anytime you're dipping into your nest egg, like your retirement fund, whether it be an IRA or a 401k, there's there's always it's never just easy money. It's never going to be easy money with no strings attached. Yeah, correct. correct. That is absolutely correct. What about payment plans? Yes, definitely. Definitely. The IRS has payment plans. So once she files her taxes, she will call them and set up a a comfortable payment plan process for them. And of course, they're pretty flexible as long as you're paying them. But you do want to pay that off because they charge interest on it and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. But handle it. Don't ignore it. Yes. Get on some type of plan so so it doesn't escalate into some sort of, you know, garnishing type of situation. So she did ask the second question about that. She did go tax exempt for four months and she only paid about 6K of the federal taxes of the 70K she earned. Is there anything she can do to to decrease that money that she owes because she, she did go without paying taxes for a while? Unless she has a business or real estate or something to offset that. So I, that last part of her question, how she can, how can she decrease the money that she owes? That's, everything altogether. So she's saying in one, I owe this penalty for my withdrawals, but two, I know that I wanted my paychecks to be bigger. So I stopped them from taking money out of my check. And I normally know that I pay about 10 K by the end of the year, but now I'm only at six. So not only am I going to owe that penalty, I know I, I didn't pay into the system like I should have. There's not much that she can do at this point, but just you know, go forward and try to come up with something that reduces her situation going forward. Um, I'm not sure what her details are. She makes 70K and she pays 6K. Does she have kids? Is she going, you know, she she has some strategizing at this point. Okay, let's take our last question from listeners, Summer. Tiff, you want to take this one? <laughs> um, so Summer says, my question is for the future business owners out there like Tiffany. I run a business that got to a point where we needed to switch to an S corp. Congrats, Summer. Well, I wish I knew the implications from, from this jump. Um, I would have saved so much money and time. Child me too. She said, okay, I'm about to launch a new LLC an entity. And I want to make sure that she does it right. Should she start with an S corp from the very beginning? Um, or should I wait until a certain point in terms of revenue? When does a C-Corp status make sense? Um, I believe that with my current business, before it was an S-Corp, it was classified as a domestic filer. It's also confusing. Okay, so let's break it down. So one, she was at one point at, can we just talk about the difference between an LLC and an S-Corp in the eye of 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 taxes? Yeah, yeah, so definitely. The biggest reason why S-Corps are so popular is because you can save money. That's the high level answer. And the way you save that money is you 
have to, you can pay less self-employment taxes. So um, Tiffany, so the Budgetista as an LLC, everything that you earn is considered, you know, self-employment income. The moment you turn over to an S-Corp, you can give yourself a reasonable salary and that reasonable yes. salary is not subject to those to, to those taxes. So that's how you save money. So if let's say the business brought in $100,000 as an LLC, you pay those special taxes on that whole 100K. Switch to an S Corp, you brought in that same 100K, but we said we're going to pay you a reasonable salary, let's say 40 grand. Well, 40 grand of that money doesn't have to pay those special taxes. So that's okay. that's the understanding of why people want to move to an S Corp. Now, you'll find different opinions on when is the best time to move to an S Corp. Typically, the number one thing is you are at a good profitable place. Some people will say, you know, it once you're netting, you know, 30, 40, 50, I personally think once you're netting around 70, 75K. And here's the reason why. When you move over to an S Corp, there are more administrative responsibilities involved in that. And those responsibilities cost you money. You have to start paying those quarterly taxes, which means that you need an accountant to help you with that, which means that your books have to be clean. So now you're paying bookkeeping services. And if you have employees, you're in, you know, so it, it the, and your taxes cost more to file too. You know, and I do escorts. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have an escort. You're, we're happy to see you escorts come our way. <laughs> we're like, come on with your problems. Come on. <laughs> so, so, you have to make sure that the expenses that you pay to become an S Corp far outweigh the benefit. And that's, and that's why we say you are in a profitable place. If it's only going to save you a thousand dollars, is it really worth going through all of those changes? Once you add up the expenses that it costs to operate as an S Corp. And so usually my advice is not to start a brand new business as an S-Corp unless you've been in business for a while. It has some predictable income. And you know that, yes, it's going to cost me an extra two grand a year, but the taxes that I'm saving far outweighs the administrative responsibilities that I have to go through to operate this way. Yeah. So Carl, for me, it would happen for me because my accountant, Carlos, it happened when I, I was uh, just like you said, uh, Terry, he's more conservative as well. I was around seventy five to one hundred thousand dollars a year as the budgetista. Mm -hmm. And he was like, OK, one girl, it's time to start paying quarterly because I would always feel like I was back to zero by the end. You know, by the end of the year, it's like, yeah, 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 I save and all this money goes to taxes. Yes. And he was like, you know, so one, you're going to start paying quarterly. And two, you're right. I, I had a by then this was maybe like. I don't know, I want to say four years ago, maybe five years ago, I was like, okay, the budget needs to steadily at this about 75 to $100,000 a year. You know, it's a, it's a good solid business. So we switched to an S corp and it saved me $30,000 in taxes. Mm -hmm. So it was that, you know, that was a significant amount of money to not have to uh, pay as a result of switching because, but like you said, I met with Carlos quarterly all of a sudden. I also brought on a CFO because, and we had a bookkeeper because you're right. You're, you're like, it's, the, you're, you're really wanting to make sure that your books are super clean and clear and concise. And then she also asked about when does a C-Corp make sense? So, um, Terry, I recently, um, so I've got, um, 
Well, Manny and I share in Brown Ambition, but that's an LLC. Um, the Budget Nista is a C Corp now. I just switched over last year. I have a marketing company that's a C Corp, and I have an online school that I think started off as an S Corp because it, I mean, it, it, I, right away I knew it was going to make a good amount of money because it was built on the back of the Budget Nista. So it was like we knew when we launched, this is going to start off like, you know, making over six figures um, a, a year. So so can you explain what a C-Corp looks like in the eyes of taxes and when it was a, when would it be a good idea to switch to a C-Corp, if ever? Well, I don't really, that's not my expertise working okay. with C-Corps, but it's when you're making money and you have some future long-term goals. Yes. Only a C-Corp accommodates. That, okay. That's the high level answer to that. Um, you can, you know, issue stocks, you can do more things if you want to bring in investors, things like that. Then that's when you have certain situations, business moves that you're trying to make that really a C Corp best accommodates. And right now I know with the new tax laws, they've dropped, it was like 35%. That's how much uh, businesses were paying. Like as far as taxes were concerned with the C Corp, it, it, um, it reduced like to the lowest it's ever been to 21%. 21% somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a twenty one percent, which is what some people were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I'm truthfully, I'm like, I need. It doesn't. That's why I switched to a C corp because yes, yes, is it beneficial for me? But I know that that's not fair. Why should someone or a company making multiple seven figures or eight figures or nine figures? Why are you paying less taxes? That it's so crazy that like my multi seven figure business has a lower tax rate than Tiffany Aliche. How? Mm-hmm. Like, how does a person, I'm paying right. more taxes than my successful business. That's honestly, that's ridiculous. And I, and so, and I'll just share like what, why Carlos said it made sense for me to switch to a C-Corp. But I'm, like I said, I'm sure it's more intricate. It's just because for, for two of my businesses, we did have long-term goals that normally we were, I was pulling a large amount um, from my S-Corp business as an owner draw and like my reasonable income. But for the other two businesses, we were keeping a lot of the money in the company. But because of an S-Corp, I was paying taxes on money that was being kept in the company. And I was like, Carlos, like, I can't pay taxes on $500,000 that I'm not receiving. That's a lot of money, you know? And so he was like, okay, well, then it's time to switch to a C-Corp. So that way the burden of those taxes falls on the company, not you, because you're not really pulling money out because you're saving for a larger, you know, for to, to make a long-term um, move. So, so I'm sure it's more intricate, obviously, but for me, I made the C-Corp switch because I was not pulling money out of two of my companies. Instead, I was keeping it there to make, make um, you know, long-term moves with that money. So that's right. what triggered it for me. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and you explained it perfectly. And so it really depends on the perspective of the conversation on whether that's a good or bad thing. When the tax plan was put out there, it was with the, with the idea that this helps the middle class. Well, middle class is not bringing in 500, a million dollars, you know, and yay, the tax rate is lowered for the C-Corp to 21%. That really doesn't speak to the middle class. but to the class of people where, yes, that is great because my S-Corp, I'm paying 40% over here. And if I switch to a C-Corp, I'm going to be paying 21% when, mm-hmm. when I am winning, I am winning. So it just depends on, um, you know, the conversation, the context of it. But moving to a C-Corp, I say my model is you want to keep more of what you make. And so the... I everything that I do around the education when it comes to taxes is listen, 
We are not about to cheat the system. We're going to learn the system so that we can beat the system. So mm-hmm. if that's is, then that's just what it is. And I'm not mad at you in my Tupac voice. Move over <laughs> to the SC Corp, Tiffany. Move, child. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Carlos. Nobody I always feel that. like the tax code always brings out the Republican in people. Yes. <laughs> like, forget Trump for a minute. We all want more money, right? So <laughs> say you're a liberal rich person is what you're saying. No shade, Tiff. So real quick for people who, for people, because I know this is, uh, luckily, you know, with tax reform, everyone was really concerned. What does this mean for my taxes? Am I going to owe more? Am I going to owe less? What advice do you have for people who get an unexpected tax bill this year or maybe get way too much of a refund and they realize that, hey, maybe I should be giving the government less of a free loan during the year um, in terms of like changing your withholdings in 2019? Um, yeah, what advice do you have for just regular W-2 workers heading into this tax year? Number one, the IRS has a calculator called the IRS Withholding Calculator, and it's free to use. You want to make sure the right amount is, is being taken out of your paycheck. So you can go on there, have your last paycheck in your hand, plug in the numbers, it'll ask you some questions, and it will give you an idea of whether or not you're on par to have the right amount taken out of your check so that you're pretty close to break an even, you're not overpaying, but you definitely don't want to be underpaying as well. Um, that paycheck is really determined by how you fill out your tax forms when you get on that job. So make sure that you're completing those forms so that they have the correct amount being taken out of your check. And that is something that a lot of people um, feel is very confusing. They're not sure. So, so that's why I always say, hey, just go to the calculator. Excellent. Well, Terry, you've been so helpful and insightful. Thank you so much for joining the show. Now, let our listeners know where they can find out more about you. You can can find me at terrychantel.com. That is my internet home, T-E-R-R-I-E-C-H-A-N-T-E-L. And that's where I have my courses and eBooks and things like that for everyday people to beat the system. Save or make money. Yes, Terry. And Terry, for those of you who don't know, she is an amazing expert inside the Literature Academy. The Dream Catchers love you. The Dream Builders love you. Brown Ambition now loves you, girl. Everybody loves Terry. I'm so back. This was fun. I love it. I love it. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.